you're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was with those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, many of the Jews who were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Good afternoon, friends. If we haven't met, my name is Steve. I'm a member of this congregation. Uh, we're continuing our series in John, and I'm going to talk to you about this wonderful passage from God's Word. This is the first time I'm preaching at DPC, and I'm really excited to share God's Word with you. So let me lead us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Please give us hearts to hear your truths. Please help me to explain your word with truth and clarity and that your truths will challenge and change us as we either discover or grow in the awe and wonder of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Amen. Who doesn't like a home renovation show? Heaps of them on TV. We like one in particular. You may have heard of it. It's called Grand Designs. The typical formula is seeing a couple who are in over their head building their home slash castle. We see them as they pour the concrete, their money, and their very selves into the project, sacrificing livelihood, living in a leaky caravan, sharing the dim, in the gyms down the road, pushing the couple's relationship to the brink. Then comes the end. The project is complete. It looks great. They, they congratulate each other. It seems worthwhile, a good return. Contrast that with today's passage, a story of a woman who pours herself out and a lot of money in the form of a really expensive perfume on the feet of a man who gets himself killed six days later. She's berated by those around her. It seems such a waste. So what is it for you that's worth your dogged devotion and pouring out of yourself in terms of time and resources? Today we're going to examine and break up this really outrageous act by Mary, a woman who poured everything she had on the feet of Jesus into five parts. And you can see that in the sermon outline. It's on the welcome page uh, that Ken mentioned earlier. 
Point one, setting the scene. Last week we saw there was a mixed reaction from the, uh, from the people regarding Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead after four days in the grave. Those who gathered under him and those who gathered against him. The Jewish leaders, feeling threatened uh, by Jesus, gathered together against him and plotted to take his life. So Jesus, as John points out, at the end of chapter 11, aware of this plot, withdraws to a region near the wilderness where he stayed with his disciples. So, um, so look with me at verse 1 as we see Jesus and his disciples come out from the wilderness. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It's almost time for Passover, an important Jewish feast remembering that God had uh, dramatically and powerfully rescued Israel from Egypt. A key part of the Passover was the sacrifice of a lamb. Jesus steps back into the Jewish community to Bethany, which is less than four kilometres uh, from Jerusalem, knowing in six days he will die as the Passover lamb. Just as John the Baptist declared back in chapter 1, verse 29, look, the, part, the Lamb of God who takes away um, the sin of the world. As we saw in chapter 11, Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Imagine the joy they have in seeing Jesus again. Martha and Mary having their beloved brother back. Lazarus himself, um, sorry, himself his sickness cured, um, raised to life, coming back to friends and family and his beloved sisters. Well, Lazarus and his sisters throw a dinner party in Jesus' honour, as we see in verse 2. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. When Martha served, it reminds me of the first time Martha um, saw Jesus. We see this in Luke's, uh, Luke's account um, in chapter 10 from verse 38. I'm going to give a, my personal abridged version for some of it. So Martha opened her home to Jesus and his disciples. She's freaking out. How am I going to feed all these people? Where's Mary? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. Martha's furious. Furious. She goes straight to Jesus. Can you get my good-for-nothing sister to get off her butt and help? But what's Jesus' response? Mary, please help your sister. This can wait. No, let me actually read it from the Bible, from verse 31. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed or needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, Martha is generous. She opens a home to Jesus, and we see that these two sisters have quite different personalities. Martha is more practical, uh, more anxious, a little more aggressive and forceful. Uh, she sees her guests. She needs to prepare food. It's a big job. She needs help. Uh, Mary is less anxious, more spontaneous, more emotional, wears a heart on a sleeve. So we see Martha served in both situations, but this time Martha isn't complaining. She's got her brother back. Her mourning has turned to joy. But what Mary does next is the controversy of the dinner party and brings us to the big idea. Mary gives herself wholly to Jesus as she perceives he is the Messiah, thus preparing him 
for his life-giving death. Let me say that again. Mary gives herself wholly to Jesus as she perceives he's the Messiah, thus preparing him for his life-giving death. Point two, Mary giving herself wholly to Jesus and Judas's objection. Uh, this is such a well-renowned event in John's time, uh, and in John's time, that John actually mentions it before Lazarus has died. Uh, see in chapter 11, uh, verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus nay lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This event's also recorded in the other Gospels of uh, Mark and Matthew, and by using all three accounts, uh, we can get a fuller picture of this event. Uh, Luke records a similar but different event about a sinful woman who enters the house of a Pharisee um, and proceeds to wash uh, the feet of Jesus with his tears, uh, wipe them with her hair, and then pours perfume on them. Let's see in verse 3 how Mary um, gave herself fully to Jesus. Then Mary took a pint of nard, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Imagine you were there, reclining on the couch, eating with Lazarus and Jesus. You smell this amazing spicy perfume. It fills the entire room. It reminds you of your favourite perfume, but it's so much better and more expensive. You know, the one that features the citrusy, citrusy top notes, the mossy base notes, the bouquet of sensual white flowers and juicy peach notes, perfect for evoking memories of an idyllic spring or summer's day. You look up, you see Mary at the feet of Jesus. Her beautiful long hair is unbound and she's wiping her hair on his feet with this expensive perfume, those feet that have travelled in open leather sandals on dirt roads with those infernal animal droppings in the sweat-inducing heat. You take a closer look. You notice she hasn't just dabbed a little perfume on Jesus. She's poured the entire container on him. Mary has her most precious possessions, her hair, her wealth, her social standing, all put on the feet of Jesus. We're not told whether Mary is from a rich family or whether the perfume is a dowry. Regardless, it would have been a substantial part of her life savings. She has, a, sorry, she has a given a significant part of her financial security. In a culture where dowries were important, who would marry someone without a dowry? In a time when famines were really uh, very real events, what happens in a time of famine and you have very little of value to sell? So what's your reaction to the event? What's the reaction of the disciples? Judas shows us, sorry, John shows us Judas's reaction. We see in verse 4 onwards, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, 
he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas raises a good point, but as John comments with evil intent, behind Judas's protest is personal greed. He didn't care for the poor, only his pocket. Nard was an expensive perfume. The amount Mary used was a little under half a litre and worth a year's wage. If you were to put it in today's worth, based on the average total earnings from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, it's worth about $70,000. From other Gospels uh, accounts, it appears that Judas was not alone uh, in his objections. See in Mark 14, verses 4 to 5. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Some people at the dinner didn't appreciate the seemingly spontaneous spirit of worship and adoration that Mary had done, which costs her a fortune. They only see opportunity lost in terms of practical and pragmatic ways to serve the poor. So we see two noble and good virtues uh, seemingly come against each other in the use of resources, one of worship and adoration, the other in terms of practical and pragmatic help. So how do we make sense of Mary's actions? Point three. Mary's actions only make sense when we understand who she perceives Jesus to be. We do this in three ways, by breaking down her actions into separate parts, contrasting her actions to Judas's objection, and examining Jesus' response. Firstly, what do, what do we know about Mary's actions? Uh, the act, the act of, of was, was her own initiative. There was no request or demand put on her. There is something that she perceives about Jesus that causes her to act. Jesus tells us that she perceived that he's going to die. Wiping her hair on his feet is a dim, deeply intimate act and she's willing to put herself in a position of utter lowliness. Her self-humbling devotion shows how far above herself she considers Jesus to be. The pouring out of the perfume was worth a year's wage and extremely costly and reflected how precious Jesus was to her. She was rebuked by Jesus' closest followers, which indicates even the closest disciples didn't perceive Jesus the way she saw him. Uh, the house was filled with the fragrance of this expensive perfume and the household shared in her extravagant generosity. Secondly, John sets up a contrast between Judas and Mary. Do you see it? Mary seeks to honour Jesus. Judas seeks to honour himself. Mary's act is selfish. Uh, selfless, sorry. Judas' act is selfish. Mary sees Jesus as special. Judas sees Jesus as his opportunity. Mary worshipped Jesus with her money. And Judas worshipped money for his greed. Thirdly, we make sense of, Jesus, of Mary's actions through Jesus' response. From verse 7, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus defends Mary. Leave her alone. He approves of what she does. You might think at first, from first glance, that Mary has done something crazy. But Mary is not a crazy person. Mary has more insight about Jesus than those around her. 
But this is not the first time that Jesus defends Mary's actions. Remember we saw in Luke, Luke's account, she sat at the feet of Jesus whilst he taught. When Martha complained to Jesus, Jesus rebuked Martha. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Mary listens to Jesus. Remember in chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. Mary is like the sheep that listens to his voice. Mary sees who Jesus is with spiritual sight. Remember the man who was born blind received his sight? He declared Jesus Lord and worshipped him. She is the same mind as the sister Martha when she declares in chapter 11 verse 27, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Mary sees how far Jesus is above her, like John the Baptist, understood his position before Jesus. Remember in chapter 1, from verse 26, John says, I baptise you with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Mary understands her place before Jesus. She places her most precious possessions, her hair, her wealth, specifically the perfume, her social standing, all at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is worthy. Mary is far from crazy. Mary's actions are a beautiful act of thankfulness, love, worship, devotion and adoration. Like the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure, hidden, a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and saw all he had and brought that field. Nothing is off limits to Mary in giving herself. She doesn't care what people think. She doesn't care the cost because she knows what Jesus gives her and the hope she has is worth infinitely more. Like the man who found the field with the treasure, he sells all he has with joy, knowing he will have so much more in the future. Mary sees who Jesus is, her Lord and Saviour, the Messiah. So why does she anoint Jesus' feet? Jesus defines Mary's actions, point four, pointing to his life-giving death. Jesus says in verse seven, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. In the culture of the day, it was not thought inappropriate to spend lavish sums on, at a funeral, including the cost of perfumes, that were designed to stifle the smell of decay. But here was Mary lavishly pouring perfume on Jesus while he was still alive. Did Mary make a mistake? No. Mary's actions is interpreted by Jesus as a prophetic gesture, that his death is so imminent that anointing of his body for death is appropriate because the hour is approaching for him to die. The prophetic gesture of love and devotion can be compared to the prophecy made earlier by Caiaphas, the high priest, back in chapter 11. Jesus must die for the nation. Caiaphas thinks only at a political level. Jesus is a political threat that needs to be removed. Mary saw in Jesus the glory of God when her brother was raised from death to life and she sensed somehow that this restorer of life was soon to die. God's intent for Jesus' death was not the removal of a threat, but in order to save mankind. Remember what John the Baptist said? He is the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Mary's actions point to the uniqueness, preciousness and significance of Jesus' life and prepares him for his death. Jesus ends his defence in verse 8. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. If Jesus were a mere mortal, these words, you will always have the poor, but you will not always have me, would be very arrogant. But Jesus isn't just a man. He's fully God and fully man. Jesus had to be fully man so that he could identify with us, suffering in our place and sympathising with us in our weaknesses. Jesus had to be truly God so that he could satisfy God's wrath and secure for us true righteousness and life. Right from the beginning, God has always wanted the people of Israel to care for the poor. In Deuteronomy 15 verse 1, God says, There will always be poor uh, people in the land. Therefore I command you, be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy and in your land. But this is a rare opportunity. The chance to honour Christ, as Mary did, was something that would never come again. There will be many more opportunities for the poor to be helped. Her decision resulted in an example that's been preserved in the Bible for all time. So why did Jesus have to die? Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? Here comes the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is our rejection of God. God is the author, source and sustainer of all life. God's character is such that he is perfectly good, perfectly loving, perfectly just and pure. By rejecting God, we hurt God intimately and at many levels. And because he can't just let this rejection, because he's just, he can't just let this rejection go unpunished. But God... Uh, God, because he perfectly, is perfectly uh, just and pure, deals with the rejection, our rejection through death and judgment. Jesus had to die in order to save us, to substitute the punishment due on him to be on us. It's through Jesus' death that our sin can be taken away, no more to face God's judgment and to have eternal life if we trust and follow Jesus. As we see in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Jesus had to die on the cross to save us from our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus had to die on the cross, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus chose to die for us on the cross because he is the good shepherd that lays down his life. At the cross of Jesus, we see perfect love and perfect justice, which glorifies his Father and saves us. In the last part of the passage, we see that Jesus' reappearance in Bethany doesn't go unnoticed. From verse 9, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The large crowd comes not only for Jesus, but because of Lazarus. The man who was sick died, and in the grave for four days, 
is now alive and kicking. What a ripper of a testimony to give. Lazarus is a living, breathing testimony to Jesus' power. People were believing in Jesus because of him. But how ruthless and unjust are the chief priests? Not only do they want to kill Jesus because he raised Lazarus to life, but they want to kill Lazarus because he's the evidence that declares that Jesus has power over death. So what does it mean for us? Point five. So should we just unfurl our hair to wipe one another's feet? I've got to say I'm, I'm struggling at this point. No, Mary's actions, her outrageous act of worship in anointing Jesus was unique. It was a once in the history of mankind event to show the uniqueness, preciousness and significance of Jesus' life and prepare him for his life-giving death. The death of Jesus at the cross means your rebellion against God, your sin is forgiven, your guilt is taken away. He always sees you with a clean slate. You have his unconditional love and it's all been accomplished for you. You did nothing. We see Jesus has conquered death for us all by his resurrection. Mary had a foretaste of that in the resuscitation of her brother Lazarus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Mary saw Jesus as deserving of all herself in worship, like the man in the parable of the hidden treasure who brought the field selling everything with joy to gain infinitely more. Do you see Jesus worth your all? When we see Jesus as Mary has, when our hearts realise the overwhelming priceless treasure we have in Jesus, Paul describes the logical, uh, logical response to that in Romans chapter 12 from verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view as God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Like Mary, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. How do we do this? Jesus has risen, hasn't he? He has risen indeed. But the renewing of our mind comes as we read his word and share our lives. And we are guided by his spirit to know his will, to pour out our praise and worship on him, as well as our fears and requests. Mary worshipped Jesus in an outrageous act of generosity. Should we? Absolutely. In fact, I think we see a glimpse of that in our church. You see, last week we purchased a church property in Thornbury. You may have a different view on the church acquiring property and whether it is a good or not so good idea. But what I want to focus on is that we have people in our congregation, thankful people, who see Jesus is worth it and people and Jesus' people are worth it and the lost in Darabin are worth it to contribute over 100000 in pledges in under a week 
to gain a building that enables us to do ministry work. The same with the Presbyterian organisation that this church belongs to. It has contributed significantly to the purchase of this property. Amazing generosity. A generosity that provides us with further opportunities to point to Jesus and his life-giving death. Mary was not under compulsion to give her generous gift. Remember, it was of her own initiative. I want to say this again. Mary was not under compulsion to give her generous gift. It was off her own initiative. Our motivation needs to be clear. When we follow Jesus, it's done from a place of grateful joy, knowing the life he gives, he's done it all. But there are parts in our lives that we need to be challenged in giving all ourselves to Jesus. Jesus is the author and sustainer of life. He's given um, all He's given us all he had in his life-giving death. When Mary broke the jar and poured the perfume, expensive perfume on Jesus, she gave up trusting in her treasures on earth, in a security, trusting her security in the treasures on earth. Is your security in Jesus or other stuff? For some, it may be their studies for a future career, or maybe it's the work you're in. For others, it could be the hobbies or sports, Things like that. For others still, it could be relationships, children or friends or a partner. Uh, these are good things in themselves, but when they become ultimate things, they rob us and take us away from Jesus. In all these things, studies, work, hobbies, relationships, we need to show our priorities in life, that Jesus is number one, to point those we are with and love to the preciousness of Jesus. When Mary was harshly rebuked, she put Jesus first above all others. Does the, the approval of people stop you from coming to Jesus? Does the approval of people stop you going public with Jesus? Are you helping people see Jesus? Can I say I was greatly encouraged by a course that our own Martina and Christina ran. It was a DPC sharing Jesus training and it was a great way to spur one another on in sharing about our Jesus. Hopefully that course will come up again sometime soon. Lastly but not least, we need to be generous to both the poor, those physically, and both the poor and, the, and those poor in spirit. In the introduction, I spoke of grand designs with people pouring themselves out in their building projects. Is it worthwhile? They get a great house, but in a short time it'll need maintenance. It's temporary. It can easily be destroyed by fires, floods or wild winds. It won't last forever. We pour our resources, time, uh, money, time and talents into things we think is a good cause or will give us a good return. Jesus is the best return of our resources because he's secured for us eternal life. When we turn to Jesus and give ourselves fully to him, we have the treasure of eternal life of infinite worth. The music team are now going to come up and uh, lead us in singing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The third verse um, particularly summarises how precious Jesus was to Mary and for us, I hope as well. With a whole realm of nature mine, it would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so, so divine, demands my soul. My life, my all.